We are ready to give a warm welcome again to Reverend Renard D. Allen, Jr., who joins us tonight from the Third Baptist Church, where he and his family relocated in 2010. He is a proud graduate of the Morehouse College, where he received his Bachelor of Arts in Religion. Correct? Okay. It's also true that your great-grandfather and your grandfather were preachers, so it's in your blood. And that you have been assisting the great Reverend Amos Brown for the last two years after you joined us in this city, you and your beautiful wife and your three children. That's all true? Correct. It's also true that he has preached all over the world, and we are really thrilled to have him here tonight with us to share a little bit of the word of the Lord. Please welcome him. Good evening. evening. Privilege is mine to greet all of you in the name of our common God, whom you have rightly called Adonai. I also am proud to stand here before you tonight to share on behalf of Dr. Brown and Third Baptist Church, our appreciation for the ministry and the legacy of Rabbi Stephen Pierce, the senior rabbi of your congregation. Also to the distinguished rabbis who have been so warm in welcoming me and sharing with me on this sacred platform, to the leaders in music and worship who have made sure that our spirits are as welcomed as our bodies and our minds, and in honor even in absentia, of Dr. Amos C. Brown, whom I regard as one of the authentic prophets in the 21st century. We recognize him. For it was in his mind that this exchange The seeds for this exchange were planted by the Almighty. When over 26 years ago, down in King's home state of Georgia, a protest arose around the inauguration and legislating of his birthday as a national holiday. Dr. Brown boarded that flight along with leading ministers and rabbis from the city and county of San Francisco. When they were together on the ground, literally fighting for their lives as they had to ward off the threats of the Ku Klux Klan. Dr. Brown 
had a conversation with the lead rabbi of Congregation Emmanuel and said that it is a shame that we have to skip across the nation in order to find ourselves on common ground. When if we really wanted to do something to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we would not only lift him up as a great orator as he was, we would not only lift him up as a preacher and pastor and leader of the people as he was, but we would lift him up as a scholar, a bright, radiant mind who believed that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And we would go back to our community and form a partnership in San Francisco around going into underserved communities and recruiting students who have gotten off track in their school and put them back on track by providing tutorial services and offering mentorships to these underserved bright citizens. 26 years later, Back on Track of San Francisco has served over 2,500 students who otherwise may not have been college-bound, many of which have now gone on to graduate, to graduate from college and to make their family, our community, our nation, and our world proud through practicing their profession, their professions. At this time, we are led with a wonderful staff team that I'm privileged to work with in the person of Ms. Regina Herbert, who is a membership coordinator. I would like for Regina to stand and be recognized. And our most recent team member is Ms. Tiffany Jones, who is our new administrative assistant and program coordinator. Ms. Tiffany Jones. Great love is expressed in great friendship. Great friendship is cemented by mutual great deeds. I could tell you how much Third Baptist appreciates Congregation Emmanuel, but I can spare you any extra words because I think if you knew how many of us were here tonight, it would speak for itself. So I would like for every person here from Third Baptist Church to please stand and be recognized. I must say, I hope you got a good look at who stood, just in case you try to say something bad about me. You better know who you're sitting next to. <laughs> These are my spiritual folks. And I'm glad to have them here with us tonight. Uh, I would like to acknowledge our model saint at Third Baptist. We lift him up. We love him and we cherish him and his family. He has been no stranger to Congregation Emmanuel, for he has made room for me to be really his understudy 
in my ministry of assistance to Dr. Brown. And I would like to recognize the Reverend Aubrey Lewis. There are also other clergy here from our congregation, Reverend Willard Bolden, who is the minister, uh, minister to the veterans, and also Reverend Portia Osborne is here tonight. Thank you all so much for giving this kind of support. And then I looked out and noticed on the back row the surprise of the evening, for I'm pretty low-key over at the seminary, where I study and am roughed up by any number of brilliant scholars, sharpening my intellectual tool, lest I should be an embarrassment to myself and to the God for whom I claim to speak. And lo and behold, if my vision is not impaired, and I don't believe it is, the president of San Francisco Theological Seminary, a graduate of Princeton, and a bona fide world-class scholar, has graced us with his presence tonight. Dr. James McDonald, would you please stand? I would tell him that I said stand, not leap, but he is my president. And I'm only before you for 15 minutes, but on Monday or Tuesday, I have to go back and see what he has to say. So, as you wish, Mr. President. Also, I am honored and humbled to look out and notice that the classmates remind me of how fortunate I am to have colleagues with whom I can wrestle with the issues of ministry are here tonight. And I would like for all of the colleagues, my classmates, to please stand as well. So you may take a deep breath now. I'm almost through. <laughs> I will tell you what Lindsay Lohan told and seems to keep telling all of her lovers. I have no intention on keeping you too long. In Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, are written these words. Build houses, plant a garden, and I paraphrase, marry your children that they may have children. This is a long captivity. Seek the peace of the city. For in seeking the peace of the city, you shall find your peace therein. Opportunities like these 
to recognize the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I believe should involve a great deal of celebration. However, I do not believe that we should hasten to celebrate without seriously reflecting on the significance of the teachings of the man whose life and legacy has brought us across racial and religious lines. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has provided for us in his ministry of civic, social, and spiritual service blueprints for days to come. And he did so not as a first, but as one in a long, rich tradition of prophets who devoted their lives to speaking truth to power and to empowering the oppressed. Before Dr. King addressed America, there was a prophet for whom the book is named, Jeremiah, who addressed your ancestors. And may I say, if we are to be true to our spiritual heritage as Christians, our ancestors also. Jeremiah was called to a great responsibility with which he had nothing to do. For he opens his book in biographical form. And the only way he could give explanation to the sense of calling that had been placed on his life was to say that before he was formed in his mother's womb, his maker, his creator, had chosen, had set him apart, had put in his blood the purpose, the passion, and the pain of ministry. Jeremiah, known to many as a weeping prophet, reminds us that before we celebrate we must reflect on the condition of ourselves in order to make sure that if Dr. King were to come into this celebration tonight, he would not be disappointed with us. Jeremiah addressed the people who no longer had the luxury of worshiping in a building like this, who no longer had the luxury of having the assembly in the one place that represents for them and reminds them of the presence of God. Jeremiah addressed a people who had been taken from their native land taken captive, to be exact for biblical scholars, by the Babylonians. And at the time of the 29th chapter, when he addresses them, 
These persons who are in captivity, removed from all that is familiar to them, with the exception of their remembrances of the law and the God who gave it, create the beginning of what we call the diaspora, the dispersion, the scattering of a people throughout various places as they have been removed from one central location by which they could identify themselves and by which they could build and create community. Jeremiah, in essence, speaks to a community that was challenged, broken by captivity. And he says to them, on behalf of their God, that there are days to come Days in which you will experience the fulfillment of all God has promised you. What God has promised you through Moses when he rescued you from Egyptian bondage. Brought you over the Red Sea. Stuck with you in a wilderness. Saw you to the land flowing with milk and honey. That very God who promised the land. And who promised you that you are his chosen special people through which all other nations would know he is the one true living God. Jeremiah says to these people, the promise seems broken. But there's no circumstance that can break Yahweh's commitment to his people. So he speaks to them in the rubble of their ruin. He speaks to them in the frustration of their calamity. But he does not give them cotton candy. He does not feed them with what they want to hear, how they want to hear it. He tells them the truth. He says, you may not be in the fulfillment of God's promise now. But the day is coming. The day is coming when Zion, which represents that wonderful place where all of God's children will gather, where all of God's children will no more be separated by geography, alienated by differences, but where all of God's children will be able to gather and give praise and adoration as we bask in the presence of the everlasting God. That day is coming. That day is coming. It's coming, he says. I told you in chapter 23 it was coming. When God would make a new covenant with you. That will not be dependent on your failings or your rising. But will be dependent totally on the integrity of his own character. Those days are coming. When evil will no more have a fight to put up. Those days are coming. When war will be no more. And justice will have been served riding the coattails of mercy. But Jeremiah says that day is a distant day. And in these days to come, in chapter 29, he says to this community, before God moves you to the place of fulfilled promise, he wants to bless you 
in your brokenness. He wants to cultivate you in your crisis. He wants to build you up where you have been torn down. So Jeremiah says to them, do not spend your days in Babylon, this strange and distant land, weeping and wailing over what you have lost. Do not spend your days allowing bitterness to dominate your mood. He says, build houses, plant gardens, tell your children to marry that you may have grandchildren to look at the fruit of your labor and your legacy. Don't be bored and dull. Don't be dead and lifeless. Don't be fruitless. Don't use your crisis. Don't use your trouble as an excuse for responsibility and productivity. Build houses. It is very interesting that if you go into a Safeway, you should find an edition, special edition of Time magazine, on which the title reads, Man-Made Wonders. It was a Roman architect who wrote a treatise entitled De Architectura in which he list, listed a trio of essential elements for building buildings that last. He said that if we are going to build buildings successfully, the three elements must be in them. Formitas, strength. Utilitas, function. Venustas, delight. He said that if you are to build something, it must first have strength in its foundation. It must have purpose so that once you have built something on the foundation, it has a purpose to serve for people. And it should be appealing to the senses. It should be a delight like this beautiful edifice we're in to the eye and to the spirit. Strength, purpose, and beauty. And I submit to you today that those three elements that it takes to build the great wonders of the world are the three elements that it will take to continue to build a great people in the world. Strength for foundation. Purpose that others may be served by what we build. And delight that it may be appealing and appeasing to the spirit and to the eye. Build, he says. Build houses. How shall we build? What's the blueprint? Build houses, plant a garden, have children. If you want to ever run into somebody who's miserable, I assure you they're missing one, if not all of the above. They are homeless, 
Are they are wifeless or husbandless or partnerless? Are they are purposeless? Jeremiah tells this broken, scattered, bewildered community, build houses, plant a garden, plant, plant, build and then plant, build and then plant, build up and then plant, build up, build out, put down, put in. Build up for yourselves and your family a dwelling place, but plant in so that others might reap the fruit of your labor. And then have children. In other words, make sure that you don't live a miserable life that has never known love and its deepest expressions. I give you permission, he says, to live as normal a life as you can. Dream, work, love, laugh, be joyful, and seek the peace of the city. I know that you're in Babylon. I know that you're away from home. I know that you cannot see how you could work together with the people who stripped you of everything you've known. But if you are going to survive the days to come. You've got to not only look out for yourselves, you've got to look out for others. Is this not the crux? Is this not the essence of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Is that not a perpetual reminder to us that life is bigger than ourselves? We are entitled to dream. We are entitled to build. We are entitled to plant. But if we do what we are entitled to do only for ourselves and our self-interest, it will not outlive us. It will be worthless because it will be without the blessings of the divine. Dr. Martin Luther King talked about the kind of attitude that this blueprint requires for days to come. When he said in a sermon, that people have one or two attitudes. What is mine is thine. What is mine is mine. Meaning that I have earned everything that I have. It's mine. I'm not giving any of it away. I'm not sharing it with anybody else. It's mine because it's mine and because it's mine is mine. And because it's mine, it's not yours. <laughs> he says this is the selfishness that handicaps many lives. He says, well, then there's another attitude that what is thine is mine. The attitude of entitlement. That because you have, then I'm supposed to have what you have. And as much of it as I want for myself. I tell you what I want and you give me what I want because you have it to give because what is thine is mine. That's an attitude that cripples many lives. He said, but if we are to build a great nation, if we are to build the beloved community, we must take the alternative attitude. And that attitude is, what is mine is thine. All that I have is eligible to be shared with those in need 
all that I have is eligible to be used in great causes and purposes beyond my own self-interest. Blueprint for days to come calls us to a purpose beyond ourselves. And as I leave you, Blueprint for days to come invites us not only to build, not only to step, commit ourselves to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, but it calls us to a hope that allows us to celebrate tonight. For Jeremiah says, if you seek the welfare, if you seek the wholeness, if you seek the well-being of everybody, you will find yourself well. But if your brother is sick, you are sick. If your sister is hurting, you are affected by her pain. And if the community is confused, you may just be a sane member of a confused community. I am saved as everyone is saved. And as everyone is lost, I am lost. Because my welfare, my well-being is tied up with yours. That was the inescapable network of mutuality about which Dr. King spoke. But it calls us to a hope. For if you read on into that chapter, Jeremiah chapter 29, God tells them through this prophet, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to bless you. I say to you tonight that if we commit ourselves to the cause that is greater than our own self-interest, if we commit to helping a child who all they need is an opportunity an opportunity to know that they are loved, to know that they are special, regardless of their race and regardless of what side of the tracks they were born on. If we commit to making sure that once we have been educated, we invest in the education of somebody else's child as well as our own child. If we commit, if we commit to make sure that what happened in Sandy Hook is not repeated because of irresponsibility in high places. If we commit to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, I announce to you tonight, better days are coming. Better days are coming on the other side of the struggle, on the other side of the work. Better days are coming. And guess what? You all said God is not sleeping. Don't you go to sleep on me. I'm almost through. <laughs> Better days are coming. And guess what? They're coming because God is not asleep. They're coming because God is awake. They're coming because somewhere I read, He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He doesn't need us to wake Him up. He's trying to wake us up. Better days are coming. I better sit down before I start acting like where I come from. Because you know, like King, I'm a Baptist preacher. And they say we can't talk too long without getting a little loud. But I don't think I have to get loud by myself. 
I think I've got some brothers and sisters in here who can testify better days are coming because there is a God there is a God there is a God oh we Christians may proudly claim him but you Jews adequately name him there is a God you named him Jehovah Jireh you named him Jehovah Nisi you named him God our provider you named him and we claim him he is a provider he will give you strength for the struggle he is a peacemaker he will calm your raging spirit better days are coming open your eyes sniff the atmosphere put joy in your soul Put happiness in your heart. Put a song on your lips. Better days are coming because God is just. God is right. And evil cannot avoid its own crucifixion. And when evil dies, when evil dies, when evil dies, there ain't no resurrection for evil. There's only a resurrection for those who know better days better days better days do you believe it do you believe it do you claim it tonight better days for our country better days for san francisco better days for congregation emmanuel better days for third baptist of san francisco better brighter bigger bolder days are coming come on god we're ready to ride and if you get hungry i'm gonna talk like the jews talk guide me oh thou great jehovah pilgrims through a barren land and when your soul gets tired on the journey and you need some spiritual food just say like my ancestors bread of heaven bread of heaven feed me